Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. www.cheapastro.com And this is More Australian Archaeoastronomy. 365 Days of Astronomy podcast listeners might remember I interviewed Dwayne Harmaker, a PhD candidate at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, for the 29th of January 2010, where he told us about his discovery of a meteor crater by following an Indigenous Australian Dreamtime story. This podcast is a further discussion with Dwayne about some of his more recent discoveries. Dwayne, how are you and uh, how's your PhD coming along? Oh, I'm doing very well. The, the PhD's coming along fairly well. I'm about to start the, uh, the fieldwork component. Something you'd mentioned was a story about Eta Carina. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, this is um, really interesting. Eta um, Carina is a, it's a hypergiant star. It's actually a, a binary system. That's over a hundred times more massive than the sun, and it's about four million times more luminous. It's a variable star, so its brightness changes over time, but it doesn't constantly change at the same rate. Back in the early 1800s, it went through these periods of extended brightness, where it would get really, really bright for a while and then fade away again. Well, there was a period called the Great Eruption, which is commonly referred to as a supernova imposter event, because it was sort of like a supernova, but it wasn't. It didn't destroy the star. Sure. And over a period of about 20 years back in the 1840s, Eta Carina went from being a fairly inconspicuous, moderately faint star to being the second brightest star in the night sky after Sirius, and then eventually faded off again rather quickly below human eye visibility. I was working with a guy here at Macquarie named David Frew, an astrophysicist, and he did a lot of work on the history of Eta Carina, mainly looking at the light curve, its brightness over time, over the, the centuries. And we found this Aboriginal account from the Borong people, an, an Aboriginal clan from northwest Victoria up in Mali country near uh, Lake Tyrell. And there was a gentleman back in the 1850s named William Stanbridge who did sort of an ethnography on the Borong. They prided themselves on knowing more astronomy than any other Aboriginal group. So he published a couple of papers, and he was going through listing different celestial objects and what the names of the beings or the individuals in the stories were. And one of them was, was rather interesting. There's a male figure um, called War, denoted by the star Canopus. Well, his wife was denoted by a bright red star in the constellation Robo Carol, designated as 966. Well, we tried to figure out what that is. Back in that time, there weren't many major star catalogs available. There was one major star catalog that had been published in the 1760s, I believe. And 966 refers to the nebula surrounding Eta Carina, not the star itself. The star itself is actually 968. So given its brightness at the time and given its color in the description, we were able to determine that the Aboriginal people that Borong had actually noted the brightness of Eta Carina and incorporated that into their old traditions during this period of its great outburst. Mm-hmm. So do you think the story originated around the 1840s when the imposter event happened? Yes, just uh, about a year or two before William Stanbridge went and talked to the, the Borong people, it had started to fade away again, and a few years later it was completely invisible, you couldn't even see it. So it was only that 20-year period just prior to him going out and talking to the people that it had brightened. So it seemed pretty significant 
there's no reason why they would have picked Ada Karina as mm. that star before the Great Outburst. So the story was there was a character called Wa. Yes, it's, it's spelled W-A-R, but it's pronounced Wa, like W-A-H. And he was represented by yes. Canopus. Yes, correct. So what character was the Ita Karina outburst? Uh, his wife. Oh, I see. Kalagaluric Wa was the name of his wife. He was a crow, and of course his wife was a female crow. I mean, it didn't actually give many details about the story. It just we were able to determine that they almost certainly were talking about Ada Karina. Mm-hmm. The star catalog that was made about 100 years before, when you look at that, Robert Carroll is a now defunct constellation that incorporated Argo Navis and some other constellations in the region between the Southern Cross and the False Cross. Really? So, yes. Which is so, where Ada Karina is. Right, right, right smack in the middle of that. There were some interesting lines of evidence. For example, the sky characters. The husbands and the wives were always stars nearby in the sky, and they were always of a similar magnitude. Mm-hmm. Now, Canopus, of course, is a very, very bright star. But, you know, why would they pick Ada Carina prior to the outburst? wasn't very bright. Lots of other stars in that region that were even brighter than Ada. So, yeah, there were a few different lines of evidence that seemed to show that they, they almost certainly picked up this star and incorporated it into their old traditions, which isn't uncommon. A lot of transient celestial events are incorporated into old traditions. So, it, yeah, it's, it's the, the only indigenous account of Ada Carina that, that we currently know of. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You, you made the comment that lots of stories arise from transient events. and uh, Well, I, I can't think of any other stories. Are, are there other stories of that nature? That, oh, that, yes. A transient? Yes. Yeah, so if you think of comets, for example, uh-huh. I'm actually putting a paper out in a journal soon in November. There are a lot of accounts of specific historic comets. For example, a guy named Roth, who was working in the early 1900s in Cape York Peninsula, published in, in one of his books from 1902 that the Aboriginal people near Mapoon saw a comet as a fire lit by two old women. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of an interesting description. So I did some research on it and found in 1901 there was a, a great comet, a really bright comet that was visible from that region. And when it was visible, the head of the comet was just below the horizon and the tail extended upward above the horizon, directly up into the sky, and there were two distinct tails. So it looked like a fire that had two different smoke trails. So I thought from that, maybe that's the comet they were talking about. And I found lots of other examples of, of historic bright comets that you find indigenous accounts of. As well as that are meteors, cosmic impacts and fireballs, eclipses, you know, you get all these different types of phenomena that are transient, that there are different Aboriginal accounts of. For example, there was a meteorite fall near Jupiter Well in Western Australia, and the indigenous people incorporated that fall into their pre-existing oral traditions. I've been looking at a lot of transient celestial phenomena and finding a lot of interesting stuff coming from that, like these things being incorporated into oral traditions, and people having a, a fairly good grasp on understanding the mechanics of the motions of celestial bodies, especially with eclipses. So there are a lot of indigenous groups that look at eclipses, and obviously the solar eclipse, the moon is moving in front of the sun. Now, nowadays we think, oh, we know that, that's not that hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. But the proper new moon, when it's near the sun in the sky, you can't really see it. So you have to know the position of the moon each night, and you can tell from that when a solar eclipse happens that the moon moving in front of the sun. 
So a lot of indigenous groups understood that. They understood the motions of the moon throughout its its monthly cycle, it's the correlation between the lunar cycle and things that happen on the Earth, things that is directly related to, like the tides, of course, and things not directly related to, but that it roughly correlates with, such as the menstrual cycle, which is why the moon is always connected to fertility and childbirth in a lot of aboriginal cultures. Okay. Oh, th- thanks, Dwayne. That's interesting. And I hear you're getting married. Yes. Marrying an astronomer. Seems <laughs> kind of cliche, I know. She's a Kiwi, but I won't hold that against her. Mm. Yeah, looking at doing that in March, so that'll be, that'll be fun. So did you meet on a field trip or doing something astronomical? Oh, we were both graduate students at the University of New South Wales. Ah, we, okay. both, we both did master's degrees in astrophysics there, so that's, that's where we had met. Sure. And it sort yeah. of, you know, took off from there. Yeah, good. So I, I get the impression your fiancé has a Maori background, and does she have an interest in New Zealand archaeo astronomy? Yep, yep, she is. She does have a Maori background. All the women in her family, all the way down, were all Maori. She's got some interest in it, of course. She grew up learning Maori views of the night sky, just like we tend to learn Greek and Roman or wherever you happen to live. In the States, we learn some Native American views of the night sky. So she knew some of those, but uh, we're actually doing a, a very small joint paper on comets and meteors in Maori culture. So that'll be a, a neat little project the two of us are going to work on. But she gave me a, a neat little book on Maori astronomy not too long ago. So it's something she has a bit of interest in, but she mainly works in, in radio astronomy, massive star formation, those kinds of areas, not really cultural astronomy and archaeoastronomy. But she certainly loves coming out with me and helping me do some of this archaeological field work. Well, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where it's not all about telescopes and none of it is about expensive ones. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye.